Felicitations, malefactors. Welcome back to episode three of Luke Larson, Sports Doctor. Tonight, I wanted to go over kind of a, a state of a program, state of the program type of uh, type of pod type of episode. Um, President Biden just did his State of the Union a few days ago, and so I figured I'd do a state of Nebraska football. So. I wanted to sort of give a little bit of a background of certainly the last uh, four years under head coach Scott Frost, um, and then kind of look to the future and see where Nebraska football is as of now, where they could be uh, in a few months, uh, where they could be at the end of next season, and kind of go over some some different options as far as who who and you know who the next head coach could be if there if there is one in the near future, and sort of give my opinions on uh, whether or not retaining Coach Frost was the right idea, um, and and where where Nebraska should have gone, should or shouldn't have gone otherwise. So to start things off, I wanted to give the the uh, the the records that Nebraska football has gotten in the last four years under head coach Scott Frost. Um, in 2018, they went. Uh, Four and eight, three and six in the Big Ten. In 2019, they went five and seven, also three and six in the Big Ten again. Um, in 2020, which was a COVID, the COVID season, and uh, so they only played Big Ten games that year. Uh, they went three and five, and then last year uh, they went three and nine, one and eight in Big Ten play. Now. One of the interesting things about last year's team, uh, the 2021 team that went three and nine and one and eight in Big Ten play, is they actually. What, what's really incredible is that they actually had a positive plus minus for the season. In other words, they scored more points than their opponents did, even though they went three and nine. And that's because all of their losses came by single digits, and all but one came by one possession. So their losses last year were by eight, by seven, by three, by three, by seven, by five, by nine, by seven, and by seven, which comes out to essentially losing... All their losses came, on average, by about six points per game. So about a touchdown per game. All those games were by one possession games. Now, what's interesting about that is, I mean, obviously you don't, you don't see any program lose that many games by one possession, let alone that many games by single digits. And so a lot of the pro Scott Frost crowd, they're... Their essential, their essentially their argument was, or their their reasoning for keeping Frost around was how close those games were. Essentially saying, you know, if even a few, if even half those games get flipped to wins, you're looking at a bowl appearance. You're looking at, you know, six, seven wins, and you know, obviously another bowl, a bowl Scott Frost's first bowl game as his, as a coach at Nebraska, and. It's a valid argument. It's one that, you know, you you don't, you know, the argument that, you know, you don't want to 
you don't want to get blown out. I get that. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that makes sense. You don't want to necessarily get down on a program for being that close all the time. The issue for me, however, is not necessarily how, how, by how much those losses were. It's what sort of led to those losses. Um, a lot of those losses came because of turnovers and penalties. A lot of sort of inopportune turnovers or inopportune penalties or just like just senseless penalties that were just just at the worst possible time. Those are the things that bother me. And when when that happens in essentially every single game, the single digit and the the one possession losses tend to sort of get magnified as to how bad they appear. And I'm sure everyone has heard the the expression that perception is reality. And I think that was a little bit of, that was that was at least somewhat true uh, this past year for Nebraska football, because the perception was even though that you know Nebraska all of their losses came by single digits, it was kind of the way that those losses were were occurring because of sort of mental errors. Which, in my opinion, leads back to coaching. You know, if you as a as a head coach, one of the things that you can you can teach and coach and preach to your players is mental fortitude. That can be taught. You can you can you can you can teach your players and your program to have those sort of those um, uh, those characteristics. This, this Nebraska team hasn't had that. It didn't have it last year, and it, it hasn't had it any of the four years that Scott Frost has been the head coach at Nebraska. Now, as kind of a, a backdrop, just to give some, 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 some context, so to speak, I wanted to go back to a little bit of what Scott Frost did as a head coach at Central Florida. He spent two years as a head coach at Central Florida. Um, in his first season, he went six and seven, and then in his second season, he went thirteen. Or I'm sorry, fourteen and zero. Now, a lot of people will will look at that and you know say, "Hey, well, you know, look, he, he I mean, he, he took over a program that literally went zero and twelve the year before he got there. He increased their win total by six wins the next year, and then by another eight the next year." It's obvious that this guy was was on to something at UCF. Now, the 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 sort of the flip side of that is if you look at what Frost was was the, the system that he was running at, at Central Florida, both offensively and defensively, it it was Really, it was perfect for not just the conference that he was in, but also the sort of athletes that he had immediate access to. You have to remember, being in Florida, 
is a lot different than being in Nebraska. Now, look, I'm not saying that there aren't really good football players, really good high school football players in the state of Nebraska. There are. And that that level has increased, certainly since since I was in high school, um, but especially even within the last five five years or so. And so, but it's it's still not to the level of what you see in you know what you would consider southern states. You know your 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 Georgias, your Floridas, your Alabamas, your Texas, your Louisiana. Um, you know, even if you want to go out west to California, um, and heck, even if you if you want to go you know to a more a more cold weather state, even even a state like Ohio, Nebraska doesn't churn out the same level of football players as those states do. Now, the reason why that's so important is if you're running a system at Central Florida where you're playing in the American Athletic Conference, certainly not the Big Ten, and you're running it where you you can just literally walk out your front door and you're going to have one of the best athletes in the country as your next door neighbor, it's a little bit different running a system like that in Florida than it is here. You know, look, I'm not saying that Scott Frost's system in and of itself couldn't work at Nebraska and couldn't be successful in a conference like the Big Ten, but I think you have to have a lot more go right than you would at Central Florida. I mean, again, the, the, the coaches in the American Athletic Conference, no disrespect to them, they're not Big Ten coaches. The, the assistants that you have to that you're, you're having to deal with in the American Athletic Conference are not Big Ten assistants. So in addition to facing better players in the Big Ten, which is a given, you're also facing better coaches, better schemes, better, pre- better preparation. And so you're, you're going to have to be able to find some sort of hidden advantage when you're, when you're trying to do what Frost is doing at Nebraska against Big Ten opponents, and he hasn't really been able to do that. And so the issue that I that I bring up with with Scott Frost, I mean, look, Scott Frost was the 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 clear choice in December of 2017. I, I don't think that there was any really a second a second option to hire as our next head coach after we fired Mike Riley than, than Scott Frost. He he was the clear cut choice. Now, one of the issues I kind of brought up before, which which is the assistant coaches. Um, was what he brought his entire staff from UCF. The staff that he brought to Nebraska was the exact same staff he had in 2017 at UCF. Now, a lot of people will look at that and say, you know, that's great for continuity. And that's true, it is. But if you're bringing assistant coaches to coach in the Big Ten that aren't good enough to be Big Ten assistant coaches. Even if Scott Frost himself is good enough to be a Big Ten head coach, there's going to be little things that are going to show up every week that you're just not going to do as well as your opponents are. And so you have to wonder, was was 2017 UCF and how Frost was able to get that team to an undefeated season, was it was a little bit of fool's gold? Was there a little bit of 
sort of lightning in a bottle that that occurred that season that you just you, you can't recreate every year. That's certainly a possibility. Now, to Frost credit, um, now I don't know if this is because he honestly felt like he needed to, or if, if uh, you know, uh, Athletic Director Trev Albert sort of put the pressure on him to do this, but. Scott Frost fired a lot of his, most of his offensive staff um, in this offseason and, and hired all new head coaches, or all new assistant coaches for the, uh, the offensive staff. The only one that stuck around was uh, tight ends coach Sean Becton. Um, he fired offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, or I'm sorry, offensive coordinator Matt Lubick. He also fired um, quarterbacks coach uh, he fired his wide receivers coach. He fired his offensive line coach, and replaced them with what I think are very good hires. Um, getting Mickey Joseph as your wide receivers coach, a former Husker quarterback, um, I think is certainly going to going to help. It's it's already made a difference in recruiting. Um, the, the shortened period of time that he had to put a class together, he's already Mickey Joseph has already made tremendous strides in the recruiting. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what that looks like going forward because Mickey Joseph, even before he got to Nebraska, was one of the great one of the best recruiters in the country by pretty much everyone's estimation. So it'll be it'll be good to see there um, how how Mickey can make strides in that in that front. So the offense is going to be a little bit revamped, um, hiring f- uh, former Pittsburgh offensive coordinator Mark Whipple to the same position. Um, likes to throw the ball around a little bit more uh, than most people, I think, are used to at Nebraska. But, you know, if it works, it works. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a renewed sort of emphasis, it seems like, or at least we, we hope that there is, on, on special teams in the hiring of Bill Bush as a full-time special teams coordinator. That was something that last year, and really in, in, in Frost's entire tenure at Nebraska, has been a, a, a disaster of a unit. Um, Nebraska special teams has not been good under Frost. So hopefully that can make some, some improvements there. Um, so the, the, the entire defensive staff is back other than um, Tony Tuioti. He was the defensive line coach and a very good cor- uh, uh, recruiter. Um, he was actually one of the guy who I thought was one of the better head coach, assistant coaches on the staff. Um, he went and took the same position at Oregon. Um, Oregon is obviously in a much better position uh, nationally than Nebraska is, so it's, it's understandable. Um, Mike Dawson, who was a former defensive line coach, has stepped in and taken his place. Um, but... Uh, Tony Tuioti was was a guy who, when I when I listened to any press conference where he spoke, um, I was always impressed with him. He was one of my favorite assistant coaches, um, so he'll be missed for sure. So with the staff changes, there's a, a kind of a little bit of a renewed hope. Um, there's some people that uh, you know in 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 local circles are. are uh, Drinking a little bit of the Kool Aid, if you will. There, there, there's some, there's some hopeful optimism for this coming season. Most people, I think, though, like me, are in wait and see mode 
for this coming season and really any season that Scott Frost is going to be our head coach. Um, just because I think a lot of people felt sort of duped by the last few years. Um, they they feel like, you know, you, you get you, you need to stop talking and start walking. We need to we need to start doing what we say we're going to do. Um Nebraska has been very good at talking and winning the offs and winning a lot of off-season national championships um but doing very little actually when it comes to actually performing on the field. And so I think people people are fans and and and, and local media members are are Kind of in in wait and see mode. It, it's they they want Nebraska to to prove it. They want Nebraska to show it and not just not just say they're going to do it, but actually doing it. Um. Now, with all that being said, um. I I will be doing a uh, uh, sort of a I guess you could call it a follow up podcast to this one um, after the Nebraska spring game here in in, in a little over a month. Um. I'll watch. I'm going to watch this this the red white spring game. Um, give a little bit of uh, of my thoughts on that game and where I see um, things going. Um, there all there are going to be some people that are out uh, for that for that spring game. Uh, a couple of key offensive linemen that'll that'll be in in certainly in contention for rotation uh, for 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 time uh, playing offensive line this season. So it'll be interesting to see how. The Nebraska offense looks and performs uh, despite missing um, some of those key cogs in the offensive line. Um, but what I want to do right now is I kind of want to want to go through sort of the 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 opposite ends of the argument as far as whether Scott Frost um, should even still be. The head coach at Nebraska. We, you know, we talked about where he where he sits record wise um, the last four seasons, um, and you know how Nebraska has really um, severely underperformed. Um, certainly, with what what a lot of people expected, and maybe that's our own fault for having too high of expectations. But um, to make to, to literally not qualify for any bowl games in your first four seasons. Um, it's certainly not anything that even remotely crossed people's minds when Scott Frost took the job here. Um, I, you know, I'll be upfront and honest about it. I, I think that I thought that after this past season, going three and nine and one and eight in the Big Ten, I thought Scott Frost should have been fired. Um, I think that, you know, four seasons is enough to get the roster to where you want it to be. You have your guys. Um, after four years, it's not like you have a mix of the the previous staff's players and yours. It's completely your roster. Um, and so it, there, there's really little excuse um, in, in, in that regard. Um, but I wanted to sort of go through... Um, some of my reasoning why why I think Frost has I think needed to be it was I think it was time to move on and then I'll I'll go into some of the um, the sort of the counter arguments to that 
um, what what people on sort of the opposite end of the the argument uh, from me say what their arguments are, and then I'll try to do a little pushback of that to have kind of a a debate with that side a little bit. But one thing that has happened um, in in the last four years is there has been a a sort of I would call it a lack of improvement at key positions under Frost. Now, again, a lot of this might change with the new staff, which, again, I'm not going to base my opinion on whether or not Frost should should have been retained as head coach based on something that could happen. I, I can only go by what has happened. And I think one of the difficulties that a lot of people on my side of the argument have is that you know, they, they look at how explosive UCF was, certainly offensively, um, in 2017. And this goes back to the whole, you know, was 2017 UCF fool's gold. Um, and they look at, I mean, even the defense that they had that year, it gave up a lot of yards and points. And that's just because of the, the pace that they played at and how many, you know, how many possessions there were in UCF games. But they even had, I mean, they had pros in, on, on the defensive side of the ball. Just as many as they did on offense, and and you know, so it's it isn't as though that you know UCF was devoid of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but people saw that, and they said, okay, look, even if we can't get to that level every single year, even on down years, we're going to be at least a an above average to good offensive team under Scott Frost. That has not happened. In fact, the exact opposite has happened. Our defense actually last year was probably our strength. Um, and our offense really was just kind of doing its best job to hold our defense back and give our defense as many problems as it could. And that includes the special teams as well, by the way. And so people, the, the, you know, we brought in this guy to sort of bring in this explosive modern offense and to get that part fixed. And then, you know, as the years go on, you get your defense fixed. But it's it's actually kind of been the opposite of that. Well, isn't, you know, why, why did we bring in this offensive guru if the offense was going to struggle this much? That's, that's you know, obviously that's a, that's a big, big issue for someone who, you know, wanted to keep Frost around. The other thing about it is that if you, so let's compare Nebraska to a program like Baylor. Now, for anyone who has followed college football for any extended period of time, Baylor used to be just this doormat in the Big 12 for literally since since they joined the Big 12 in 96, 1996, up until, I mean, maybe 2008, 2009. I mean, so for we're going, you know, over 10 years here that Baylor was just a, the, 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 the perennial doormat of the Big 12. Certainly the Big 12 South. But Baylor football and... Well, Baylor football in the mid-2010s 
had a a massive um, rape and sexual assaults assault scandal that that went through their program. A lot of the the players were accused of of either rape or sexual assault, and their head coach got fired. Um, a lot of the players were dismissed, and you know your people are thinking, well, gosh, you know, you know. Baylor's back to being a doormat because it, it, for for a number of years there they they had Baylor had some really good football teams under former head coach Art Bryles, um, and they had a quarterback that you might recognize by the name of Robert Griffin the third. They were that was that was one of they had their best teams maybe in program history um, in those years. They get rocked by this scandal. Their coach gets fired. A lot of their players are dismissed. And people are thinking, well, Baylor's Baylor's back to the cellar. They hire a head coach, very who I had never heard of before he got to Baylor, which you know, who knows how much that's saying. But they hired uh, some a coach by the name of Matt Rule, and in his third season as head coach, got Baylor to eleven and three. He leaves and takes a job for uh, in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers to become their head coach. And they hire a guy by the name of Dave Aranda. In Dave Aranda's second year, just last year, 2021, his second year, they went 12-2. and two. Now, even if you want to go back further than that, if you want to talk about Baylor as, like, as an entire athletic program, in the early 2000s, a lot of people don't remember this, in, in the early 2000s, Baylor actually tried to cover up a murder by one of their basketball players, one of their men's basketball players. And it sent their basketball program into a spiral. So you're talking about an athletic program that literally has, has had two major major legal problem scandals if we you know have whatever term you want to use there within the last 20 years and yet Baylor is able to find not just one but multiple head coaches two of them who are able to at least for their football program Get them, re, get them to levels that they had never been in their program's history before. Matt Rule going 11-3 in 2019. Another head coach coming in and in his second year going 12-2. and two. And it's just, the question has to be asked, if Baylor, who was a Big 12 doormat for 10 years, can find coaches, good enough coaches, and good enough players... To have multiple 11-win seasons. After all that, the, the, the legal problems that, that athletic department has had over the last 20 years. Why can't Nebraska? Why can't Nebraska do that? I mean, it isn't as though Scott Frost came in here and inherited a program that was having to recover from anything even remotely close to that. Like, look, you can say that the cupboard was somewhat bare in terms of the, the players that he had. And some of that, you know, that might be somewhat true. But, I mean, his first team might have been his best team. 
It certainly was his best offense. And it was made up of mostly players that weren't even his. But if, if Baylor's able to overcome something as serious as that and still put winning teams on the field, and not just like barely winning teams like 7-5 and five or 8-4, and four, but they're getting to 11-12 and 12 wins on a regular basis. Why, why can't Scott Frost do that? He has more resources. He has more fan support. He has far more than, than Matt Rule or Dave Aranda at Baylor did. Far more than, than those two guys did. So that's one, that's one big issue for me. Another sort of... Um, I guess you could say counter-argument that people bring up as well. Nebraska, it's, it's so cold in Nebraska. It's hard to recruit, you know, good enough players to Nebraska to be able to win on a, on a regular basis. Now, at the surface, this that argument or that, that I guess, problem does seem somewhat legitimate. But here's, here's part of why I, I, I can't buy that, that argument. When, when people say, or when people ask the question, can Nebraska recruit good enough players to, to here, to play here? The immediate follow-up question that I have is, well, to do what? Has Nebraska recruited good enough players to go to a bowl game every single year? Absolutely. Has Nebraska recruited good enough players to win the division every single year? Absolutely. Now you might say, whoa, whoa, win the division every single year. Single year. Yes, we have had good enough rosters every single year that Frost has been here to win our division. Now, obviously doing that is far different, but the, the, the roster itself has been good enough to win the division every single year, the Big Ten West. Have we recruited good enough, good enough players to win the conference every single year? No. Mostly because when you get to conference championships, you're talking about having to play teams like Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State some years. Yeah, we haven't had, there haven't been rosters, even before Frost, where every single year you could say, yeah, that roster is good enough to win the conference. But there have been some years where you could say that. For instance, 2010 was a good enough roster to win the conference. Now, you might say, well, that was 12 years ago. It still happened. It still has happened. We've still had rosters in this program that are good enough to win conference titles. We have, objectively speaking. Um, you know, Mike Riley... Mike Riley had good enough rosters to win the conference. A lot of people don't, don't realize this. We had good enough rosters to win the conference. You can't just look at record and go, oh, that team wasn't good enough to win the conference. Because what we're talking about is recruiting now. We're not talking about performance on the field. We're talking about recruiting. We've recruited well enough to win the conference or at the very least contend for the Big Ten title once every three years, at least. Now, to take it even a step further than that, have we recruited at a high enough level to 
win a national championship. I think that there's probably only one season since Frank Solich was fired in 03 that we that you could say yes to. And that was probably 2009. That too, if, if, if any Husker fan, when I bring that up, is going to remember, that is probably the best defense in Nebraska football history. In my opinion, it's not probably. That's the best defense in Nebraska football history. And if you go to the other side of the ball, you might say, well, gosh, that, that offense was was very average and, and below average in most games. If you look at the actual roster that that team had, that that offense had a lot of pros on it too. And not just like on the offensive line, but skill positions. The one thing that that team was missing was a quarterback. That team has a quarterback. That team might win the national championship. Now look, I'm not saying that Nebraska has to contend for a national championship every single year for me to be happy or for me to be, you know... Um, approve to approve of the head coach but I do think that once every seven or eight years the stars need to align things need to all come together and Nebraska needs to be in that conversation certainly if the the college football playoff expands to eight or 12 which is what it, which is something that's on the table I think that Nebraska needs to be in contention for that if it expands to 12 I think they need to be in contention for that every five or so years once every five or so years. Now, another another problem with that argument that Nebraska can't recruit good enough players is every head coach since Frank Solis in 2003, was fired in 2003, has had at least one top 15 recruiting class. And some of them had multiple. For instance, um, uh, Bill Callahan had multiple top 15 recruiting classes. He had a top 10 recruiting class. Um, Mike Riley did. Even Bo Pelini did. Scott Frost has. They've all had, every single coach since Frank Solich has had at least one top 15 recruiting class. Now, look, the question that has to come up with that is like, okay, you can do it once. The only, the only thing that you're missing there is to do, to string, you know, a couple of those together or, you know, two of those every three years, two top 15 classes every three years. You know, maybe three every five years, and if you do that, you're gonna you're gonna be at least one of the favorites in the Big Ten West in the division all the time. You do that every sing- three out of five years, you're gonna be one of the favorites every single year. At least you should be if you have a decent enough coach to be able to develop those players, which I would argue we at least right now, as far as we know, Nebraska does not. Now, kind of going back to something I brought up earlier as my next sort of point is when I mentioned that Frost brought his entire UCF staff to Nebraska when he came here. One of the biggest concerns that even even the most pro-Frost fan had was is the staff that he's bringing actually capable of being a Big Ten coaching staff? And 
I, I think with with certainly the events that have taken place this offseason with you know a, a, a good majority of the offensive staff being fired and replaced and the performance of those individual position groups that the those fired coaches were in charge of, I think you'd have to say the answer to that was no. At least not for all of his staff. No, I think I think a good majority, if not all of his defensive staff, is is ready to be a a big-time power conference coaching staff. I think Eric Chenander, the defensive coordinator, I think he's good enough to be. Um, I think Travis Fisher, the defensive backs coach, is good enough to be. Um, Barrett Rude, um, linebackers coach, he's good enough to be. Uh, Tony Tuioti, obviously, was good enough. Our defensive line was certainly not a weakness. Um, I think that the defensive staff certainly was, was, was on that level and good enough to be that. The offensive staff, not so much. Now, we'll see what these changes will do, if anything. But the issue that I have with this is that is, is Frost capable of making an unpopular decision in getting rid of, a, of an assistant coach when it's not something that he, he and really most people knows could be costing him his job? Because the argument would from, from my side would be the only reason he made these changes is because he knew if he didn't, he probably would have been fired. So if it takes him potentially getting fired to, to make what would necessarily be, you know, what, what would be, you know, the correct choice, well, we don't want to wait for that to happen again just for him to make another assistant coaching change. No matter how necessary it might be, look, loyalty is an admirable trait, but you you have to you have to do what's necessary to 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 put the best team you can on the field. I think for the first four years of his time in Nebraska, he hasn't done that, in my opinion. So ultimately, my my doctor's diagnosis of the Nebraska football program. Um, as of right now, is that after last season, Scott Frost needed to be fired. Um, I still hold that opinion. Um, we'll see what this year does. Um, I honestly think that that athletic director Trev Alberts has kind of set himself up for a, a messier situation down the road. Um, I think that, you know, firing a a, a three and nine head coach, a coach that just went three and nine, I think is a, is a much easier sell than firing a a head coach that you know has just come off you know maybe two or three six and six seasons. Now look, I'm not saying that that I'm I'm that you know I think Frost is going to go six and six for three more years for three years in a row, but even if there is a slight improvement. In, in in win totals over the next you know three years, does it really mean that 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 significant progress or at least enough progress was made in order to not go? He's still not doing enough. Enough enough progress isn't being made, and and then at that point, you know, how do you how do you how do you sell firing a coach that went six and six? Versus firing a coach that went three and nine. 
Again, a lot of people would have been very upset. I think you know a lot of the Frost proponents um, and and Frost fans would have been um, upset at that. But again, he went three and nine. It's a lot easier to 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 sell that to people. Well, I fired him because he went three and nine. Than it is to try and sell. Well, I fired him because he went six and six. That's a that's it's a that's it that's a completely different and easier problem to deal with, regardless of how much pushback there would have been. Now, one of the the I think the main pushbacks. The, I, I think actually the main pushback that I that you hear from the people who think that Frost should have should be still should be the head coach that he shouldn't you know shouldn't even really be on the hot seat some people say is the they, they ask this sort of this kind of this odd question which is well who are we going to get who are we going to get if if we fire Frost who's going to you know how are we going to how are we going to find a good head coach who who are we going to go get now there's a lot of problems with that mindset. A lot of them. Um, one of the things that, um, in listening to uh, local sports radio, um, that 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 I've, I've I've gotten is is number one that's a defeatist attitude. So if if you're just you know if you're just saying well you know if we if Frost doesn't work then we really don't have you know, we just might as well just give up. It's like no you can't you can't think that way. Um. But they, they brought it, but locals uh, on a local radio station actually heard them say this. They said, the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't. And I think that perfectly applies to Frost because essentially what that, what that saying means is that people are more comfortable losing with Frost than they would be, than, than they are even potentially winning with someone else. Because they know Frost, they know what he brings to the table, they know who he is, and really, it's it. A lot of it could boil down to the fact that he played here, and it's like, look, I, you know, I respect Frost as a player. He won a national championship here, but things like that can't be the reason why you keep a head coach. I mean, other big time programs don't do that. Why should Nebraska? Now, another problem with with the the who we going to get question or the who we going to get argument is that it's based on this sort of this theory that's been around or I guess this sort of mindset that's been around ever since Nebraska fired Frank Solich almost 20 years ago now which is that if we fire another head coach it's it's going to turn more candidates, more good candidates off to wanting to come here and wanting to come here to coach. And look, here's the issue, man. Like anyone who is an assistant, you know, a top assistant or even a head coach at a lesser school that you would want to, you know, give a give a chance to or give an interview to, I guarantee you they don't remember that. They don't remember Nebraska firing Frank Solich. I, I guarantee you none of the players do. Because none of the players were alive for that. College football players nowadays weren't even alive when Nebraska fired Frank Solich. At least most of them weren't. It's not like people remember that. It's not like it's fresh in people's minds. And on top of that, 
Firing Frank Solich after going 9-3 and three is vastly different than firing Scott Frost for going 3-9. and nine. It's not the same thing. Completely not the same thing. Now, the, the last problem I have with the, the who we going to get argument, or I guess the who we going to get problem that, that the other side presents, is that it's a, it's a non-falsifiable argument. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm about to get a little bit philosophical on, on everyone, so bear with me. But here's, here's why that's, that's, that's a, a, a fallacious argument, philosophically and logically speaking. So let's say someone comes up to me and asks me, well, who are we going to get if we fire Frost? Who are we going to get? Unless I am able to name someone on the level of like a Nick Saban or a Dabo Swinney or like an Urban Meyer or a Kirby Smart even most recently. They can immediately come back and say, well, yeah, but none of those guys are Saban, Meyer, Swinney. That guy's not that level. So why, why, would, we, why would we risk going after this unknown that isn't one of the best coaches in the sport, which is odd enough as it is, and fire and fire frost. Why would we do that? But again, the point is that's that's a non. It, it's like it's an argument that can't be refuted. It's a non-falsifiable argument because unless I can give one of the four best coaches in the sport, it doesn't it doesn't work. That doesn't fly with you. That's not that's that's not how this works. That's not that doesn't fly as a valid reason to not fire a guy that went three and nine. It doesn't work that way. That's, that's fallacious thinking. That's, that's a fallacious argument. And, I, and, you know, look, I'm not saying that, you know, Husker fans that, well, any Husker fans, you know, need to, need to you know, be some philosophical titan before they can argue, you know, against firing a coach. But it's like, you have to at least give me, give my side of the argument something to work with that isn't just... Well, if we can't get Nick Saban, we're not going to fire Frost. Or if we can't get Urban Meyer, we're not going to fire Frost. It's like, that. it's not going to work. And on top of that, if you think about it, think about somebody like a Dabo Swinney. Dabo Swinney was a wide receivers coach at Clemson before getting the job there. The head job. The, the next Nick Saban, the next Urban Meyer is probably some position coach right now. Just like those guys were. I mean, Nick Saban, I mean, look, Nick Saban failed miserably at Michigan State before going to the, before, he was, I mean, he he did not get Michigan State really doing any, much of anything before he went to LSU. And then all of a sudden, he just found a niche at LSU. I mean, if you want to even go, you know, something closer to home, look at Nebraska's two greatest head coaches of all time. Bob Devaney wasn't even on the short list of people that we wanted to interview for the open head coaching position. He he only got interviewed because somebody that we wanted to offer the job to declined and recommended Bob Devaney. 
It's the only reason Bob Devaney even got interviewed. And he was, Bob Devaney was a head coach at Wyoming. Now look, I'm not trying to bash the Wyoming football program here, but it's not like Wyoming, even nowadays, has a lot of national cachet. Back then, it had even less. And yet, the second best coach to ever coach here, we got from Wyoming. That wasn't even on the, 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 the top candidates that we wanted to interview for the job. Tom Osborne was a guy that no one thought should get the job. They, they said he was too young. He didn't have enough experience. People thought, you know, people, somebody like, uh, like Amani Kiffin should have gotten the job. It wasn't like Tom Osborne was, was like this up-and-coming hotshot coordinator that everyone was wanting to hire for their head coaching job. And yet he became the greatest coach in Husker history. My point is this. Maybe Nebraska, instead of trying to be other programs and hire the hotshot coordinator as their next head coach, maybe we need to start thinking outside the box and looking for the diamond in the rough. That's what got us Devaney. That's what got us Osborne. That's what got us thinking outside the box, not just in terms of who we were going to hire, but even our strength and conditioning program that was decades ahead of, of everyone else under Boyd Epley for all those years when, that started under Devaney. The, going to the, 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 the triple option and sticking with it as long as Nebraska did under Osborne, even as all these other programs were going to these, these spread out, high-powered passing attacks. It's like, that's not what Nebraska did. Nebraska didn't become successful by following everyone else's blueprint. Nebraska became the program it did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s by being unique, by not doing what everyone else was doing. And I think, in all honesty, I think that's what we did with Frost. Now look, I'm not saying that Nebraska needs to you know, go hire, you know, one of the service academy coaches and run the triple option again. I'm not saying that we have to do that. But we need to, we need to stop trying to be Alabama because we're not going to be, we're never going to be Alabama. We need to stop trying to be Clemson. We need to stop trying to be Georgia. We need to stop trying to be Ohio State. And we need to start being Nebraska. Be unique. Be different. That's what has gotten Nebraska the most success in the past. And I don't know, I, don't, I haven't seen any indication that changing that would, you know, would make a difference. Be unique. I, as a Husker fan, I, I hope that, that Frost turns it around. I really do. Whoever our head coach is, whatever I think about him personally, I don't really care as long as he wins. You know, obviously, if he, you know, if he, if he, if he, if he breaks, you know, breaks a law or something, or you know, does something, you know, that you know that, that's illegal with the NCAA, okay, obviously. But I don't have to like the guy's personality. I don't have to, you know, want to be friends with him for him, me to want to want him to be a coach in Nebraska. I want him to win. I Frost hasn't won. I hope he does, but he hasn't. Right now, 
I I don't I don't have a lot of confidence going into next year. I don't know why you would. I don't know what I mean. Heck, Trev Alberts even said I don't have any reason that to believe that this is going to work, and that's that's a direct quote from the athletic director. But I hope it does. I hope Frost succeeds here. I hope he does. But he's got to do it. He he's got to convince me. He hasn't convinced me yet. He's he hasn't for four years. So, that's the state of the program for Nebraska football right now. Um, I, I'm not fond of where we are. We'll see how, how this upcoming season goes. It's, I mean, obviously, we're still we're in March, so we're still five months, more than five months out from the Northwestern game in August. But I am... I'm looking forward to seeing how this new this new offensive staff does things. But I'm not holding my breath like I was before. I'm not I'm not going to be a a Scott Frost apologist anymore. I'm not going to overlook his faults. I'm going to try to hold him as accountable as I can as a fan. So, one one quick note before we get out of here. Um I probably won't have a podcast up this coming week. Um, we're in the middle. Uh, we're about to start uh, college basketball conference tournaments. March Madness is upon us. And so once the, the, the bracket, the national bracket is released, I am going to do a March Madness podcast where I pick my bracket and I will have a special guest along with me, my first guest on the podcast. Looking forward to that. And that'll probably be a week from tomorrow or a week from the Monday after that. So one of those two days, it'll be, it'll be up. We'll go through, me and my guest, we'll go through our bracket picks. We'll make our predictions and we'll do that on the podcast. We'll do that. Uh, we'll do that live, and um, should be a good time. But until then, keep your stick on the ice and don't get eliminated.